Hello everybody, this is Dan Trump of Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Luke chapter 20. I'm going to take up the last seven verses of the chapter, verses 41 through 47. And in these verses we see Jesus asking a hard question of the Pharisees, is Jesus David's son or David's Lord? And then we're going to see him denounce the Pharisees in an abbreviated version, the full denunciation of the Pharisees and the scribes you can find in Matthew 23, 1 through 39, where Jesus pronounces all those woes upon this wicked generation as he precedes the Olivet Discourse. We are at Tuesday of Passion Week. Jesus has only a few more days to live. He's in the in Jerusalem ministering to the people and preaching against the Pharisees. That night he's going to go out to the Mount of Olives and give the disciples the Olivet Discourse. So that's our context. Now, as I said, I'm not going to cover all those woes in Matthew. If you want to hear about the those, you can find my audio on Matthew 23, verses 1 through 39. So we're going to give an abbreviated version, as Luke does, of Jesus' denunciation of the Pharisees. So, I've already discussed this question of was Jesus David's son or David's Lord. I've already discussed that at Mark 12, verses 35 through 37, and so I am going to splice that discussion in here, and that splice begins now. Let's now look at this last teaching that Jesus gave. This is the last public disputation that Jesus gave before he died. The rest of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had nothing more to do with him. They just got together to try to figure out how they could arrest him and kill him, and Judas turned the trick for him, Judas Iscariot. All right, so here's what Jesus says. He says, "Look, I'm going to go. I'm going to give Matthew's version of this, by the way, because it shows in Matthew uh, Jesus questioning the disciples a little bit fuller than Mark and Luke. The parallels in Mark and Luke. Matthew 22 verse 41 says this. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Now, notice before the Pharisees were questioning Jesus and putting him on the spot. Now, Jesus has gotten real aggressive here. He's turned around and gone after the Pharisees, put them on the spot, saying, what do you think of the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, the answer that Jesus was expecting and the question that the Pharisees gave immediately was David's because son of David was a common messianic term that everybody knew about. We read, for example, in John 7, verse 41 through 42, when the crowd was speculating about who Jesus was. Others said, this is the Messiah, but some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Where Jesus was. Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem, where David once lived, from David's offspring? The Messiah was the son of David, and everybody knew it, both the popular common people as well as the learned scribes. So Jesus got the answer he wanted. And he had them in their trap, because then he after they gave the commonly received and correct idea that the Messiah was the son of David, then Jesus then says, well, uh, if that's so, in verse Matthew 22, verse 43, he asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, notice that David was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so when he wrote Psalm 110, verse 1, where this quote comes from, he's writing as if God were writing, David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord, and then Jesus quotes Psalm 110.1. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, if you go to Psalm 110.1, that verse distinguishes the two lords. This is the declaration of the Lord in all caps in the Holman Christian Study Bible. 
This is the declaration of the all caps Lord to my lowercase caps, lowercase Lord, uppercase Lord to my lowercase Lord. The uppercase Lord is Yahweh. This is the declaration of Yahweh to Adonai, which is a more general term for Lord. But that second Lord, the lowercase Lord, in Psalm 110.1, all the Pharisees knew that referred to the Messiah. Adam Clark says the, the fact that they didn't object to Jesus' interpretation of that, that was just assumed, shows that they knew that that referred to the Messiah. So what Jesus is saying is, this is the declaration of God the Father. This is, this is David saying this. This is the declaration of God the Father to my Lord the Messiah. So David is calling his Lord, Adonai, the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so then Jesus quotes that. Now, in the English translations, the Lords are all in lowercase. They're not one that doesn't have the uppercase Lord Yahweh saying to the lowercase Lord Adonai. In the Greek is kurios, two forms of kurios. The Greek word, the first Lord is kurios, and the second Lord is kurios. It's the same thing. So the distinction is not there, but it was understood when he quoted that psalm. It's not reported to us in the Greek, but when Jesus was talking, they understood when when the when the Pharisees understood that when Jesus quotes that verse and says, "The Lord declared to my Lord," it's the Lord God the Father declared to my Lord the Messiah. They that the Pharisees knew that Jesus was quoting David as saying this: "The Lord my Father declared to my Lord the Messiah, sit at my right hand." And so then, here's the trap. The Pharisees, now, they could say, well, the reason that the Messiah is the son of David is because that he's descended from David. Well, that would be bad from their point of view because Jesus was the son of David. I guess Jesus could point that out to them. Well, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of David. But at an even more fundamental level than that, they couldn't say that that the Lord was a descendant of David because logically that makes no sense. You don't call your descendants Lord. And so that option was foreclosed to them. They couldn't say that that Lord was a human being, a human Messiah, simply for the logical fact that David would never call his descendant a Lord because you don't call your descendants Lord. If So if they said that the Messiah was the son of David, they're in a mess. Then if they say that David had a had a Lord, a, a supernatural Messiah that, that preceded him, well, then they will have to admit that Jesus is the Messiah because, that, because, the, because the Messiah was divine. They couldn't do that because they didn't believe the Messiah was divine. They believed that the Messiah was a human person. So they could only see David in the, in the human aspect as descended they could only see Jesus, excuse me, they could only see the Messiah in the human aspect as descended from David. And, of course, that put them right at Jesus where he was, so they didn't want to do that. And besides, it would make no logical sense to do that for the reason I just said. A Lord is not a descendant. But then on the other hand, if they said that David was calling his Lord, the Messiah, Lord, well, then that means that David thought the Messiah was a supernatural divine being. And they didn't want to admit that either because they, in their theology, they thought the Messiah was not a divine being but a military hero. So Jesus, once again, has them trapped, has them shut up, and they don't know what to say. And in fact, verse 46 in Matthew 22 says this, No one was able to answer him at all, and from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. That was it. 
he'd whipped them one last time. When Jesus said, if David calls him Lord, how then can the Messiah be his son? Because you don't call your descendants Lord. I don't call my grandkids Lord. That makes no sense. So let's just put this, this controversy in a very simple nutshell. The Messiah was David's ancestor in his divine person, his divine nature, excuse me, and he was David's descendant in his human nature. And like I say, the, the Pharisees were stuck either way. If they said, well, if we're going to look at the human nature of the Messiah, the Messiah is David's son, descendant, humanly speaking, well, then Jesus is standing right there. He could say, well, I'm, I'm the descendant of David. But if they wanted to go to the other route and say, well, that when G David calls the Messiah Lord, that must mean that the Messiah is a supernatural being. Well, that messes them up, too, because they didn't want to admit that the Messiah was a supernatural being. So he had them completely flummoxed. So the Pharisees had three choices. <laughs> they, they had three choices. A, they could admit that the Messiah was supernatural in God and therefore implicitly admit that Jesus might be the Messiah because Jesus had been doing a lot of divine messianic-type miracles. That was their first choice. The second choice, they could confess their ignorance and say, I don't know. Then they would look stupid in front of their onlookers. The third choice they had was they could remain silent, which is the option they took. They really had no way to explain how David could call his descendant Lord, because people don't call their descendants Lord. So those were the three options. So they just remained silent and looked stupid. So now Jesus, on Tuesday, has finished shutting up the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. All right, folks, I have now returned from my discussion of Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, which is the issue of who's, how, how, is Jesus David's son or David's Lord? Who is he? And now we're going to take up the, dis, the discussion of Jesus' last and final denunciation of the Pharisees. Again, most of that is in Matthew 23, but there's a little bit of it here in Mark and Luke, so I'm going to give you my discussion of Mark 12, 38 through 40, and that splice begins now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Mark chapter 12, starting verse 38. We're going to take care of two public statements that Jesus made, the last two that he made, before he left the temple in Jerusalem on that fateful Tuesday of Passion Week, right before he went out to give the Olivet Discourse across the valley, across the Kidron Valley there to his disciples. Now, he's already had his last public disputation with the religious leaders. This was in the previous audio, previously in Mark when he discussed whose son, or how could the Messiah be David's son if he was also David's Lord. But now he's teaching to his disciples, and he publicly denounces the, the, the scribes in a very, shall we say, confrontational and aggressive fashion. Calls them all kinds of bad names because they were, they were bad, they were evil. And then he makes a comment about the widow's might, the famous widow's might. And then... He's going to, as I say, go do the Olivet Discourse. Now, we have a couple of parallel passages here, one of which is Matthew 23. Now, Matthew 23 is a special chapter. This is his final denunciation of the Pharisees. And it has the seven woes in it, and it's the perfect run-up to the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is preaching hellfire and damnation to him. Your city's going to be destroyed, which it was in AD 70, which is in Matthew 24, the next chapter. Mark 
gives a very skinny version of this, and Luke does the same thing, not very much. So I'm not even going to look at Luke. We're not going to do Matthew 23. It's better just to study that on its own. I'll just mention the parts that Mark talked about. He did mention a couple things that Matthew didn't mention, not much. So let's start in Mark here, Mark 12, verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and chief seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses, and for appearance's sake offer long prayers, these will, re will receive greater condemnation. Well, what does it take in order to do greater condemnation? Well, it's to be a religious hypocrite, and that's exactly what these people were. They walked around in long robes. This is not in Matthew, by the way. The teachers of the law wore long white linen robes to make themselves stand out. They're different than everybody else. They're big shots. And these long robes had fringes, of course, on them, and the robe reached almost to the ground, so everybody could see them. They could see the long robe, the whiteness, the length of it, the fringes. And when they walk around, these people saw them in the marketplace. Oh, hello, Rabbi. Hello, Rabbi. Hello, Pastor. Oh, excuse me, Rabbi. They didn't call him Pastor back then. We call, we call him Pastor today. Chief seats at the synagogue, that would be up at the front as a visiting Rabbi. And they would sit when they taught. Places of honor at banquets. Now, I don't know what the place of honor is at a banquet, but I know, having lived in China for 23 years or so, that I know exactly where the place of honor is. I sat at the place of honor as a foreign expert, so-called, for years before I realized. I was wondering, why am I always seated at the same place at this table? And so I had a friend who was going over there to meet his Chinese fiancé that I set him up with. And I told him, I said, well, when the family takes you out to eat, you're going to be, you go in the door of the banquet room, and you will sit at 12 o'clock high. Your host will sit to your right, your fiancé will sit to your left. I'll bet you anything. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And there's nothing wrong with having places of honor. There's nothing wrong with honoring people. There's nothing wrong with the Pharisees sitting at the place of honor. What was wrong about it is loving it. They like to walk around in long robes. They like the places of honor at banquets. That's what's wrong, is if it starts meaning something to you. didn't mean a thing to me. I got, in fact, I got extremely tired of it, sitting in and toasting everybody and ganbaying and all this all this stuff, you know. You know, It, it actually is kind of quaint and kind of charming. They even have places of honor for taxis. You get in a taxi, I always like to sit in the front seat so I could talk with the taxi driver. But when I was with other Chinese people who wanted to be sure that I had my proper dose of respect and honor <laughs> that Chinese are so good at, they would sit me in the back right seat because that's the place of honor. Don't ask me why, but it was. Okay, but again, again, there's nothing wrong about things like that. Nothing wrong with a long robe even. Nothing wrong, I guess, was sitting in the front of the synagogue. The chief seats at the synagogue, have you ever noticed in American churches that you got the big throne-like chair in the middle? That's for the pastor the reverend he sits there then he has two little throne chairs to the left and the right that's for the guest of honor they sit there and they face the congregation that that really gives you a feeling of brotherhood does it not that we're all in this together that we're all members of one body those big thrones placed right up there at the front anyway i'm not saying that the people who sit in those chairs are pharisees but i'm telling you it sure lends itself to to that type of phariseeism real quickly to i'm the pastor and don't you tell me anything else that's what it leads to or it can lead to. And they make long prayers. Oh God in heaven, we thank thee for thy merciful bountiness. I remember I heard a story about an old revival preacher named Sam something. I wish I could remember his name. It's back in the 1800s or so. And uh, 
so he was being introduced by this young pastor at this revival meeting and the pastor got up and spoke and says, Oh God, we pray thy merciful bounty on this thy congregation of the saints. And he went on and on like that. And so the Sam guy, the, the revival preacher, got up and said, Let's pray. And he says, Oh God, let us puke. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. All right. Now, it says these Pharisees like to devour widows' houses. Well, here are some options as to how they did that. James and Fawcett and Brown said they took advantage of the widow's helpless conditions and their confiding character to obtain possession of their property in some unknown fashion here. My NIV study Bible says that the teachers of the law weren't paid a salary. They took donations, and widows were especially vulnerable to appeals for donations, and that's still going on today. How do you think all these Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen prosperity preachers build their $10 million mansions? bunch of a lot of it's by widow's money anyway reminds me of a true story my grandmother was about to die she's living at my sister's house and the pastor of her church whom we did not know came to see her well that's normal so he's in there talking to her and my sister walks by the door and he hears the man saying well you know miss trotter we have a need for a new church building and blah 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 and he was trying to hit her up for for my grandmother's money in her estate my sister walked in there and broke that up i wish i had a shotgun out of in christian love of course told him where to get off at any rate this is the type of religious hypocrisy that jesus hated and that's it's interesting that's the last thing he did before he left this earth as far as public ministry is denouncing religious hypocrites and the christian church has got entirely too many many of those because there's nothing that hurts the gospel more than religious hypocrisy people hate it and for good reason they hate it all right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm now, I have now returned from my splice discussing Mark 12, verse 38 through 40, Jesus' denunciation of the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. Next audio, we'll briefly discuss Jesus' object lesson of the widow who put all of her mites into the offering plate and gave everything she had. One more teaching on money before Jesus leaves the temple for the last time to go across the Kidron Valley that evening, that late evening, that late afternoon, early evening, to teach the disciples the Olivet Discourse, which gets into eschatology. That ought to be good. That's two audios from now. I hope you enjoyed this audio, and we'll see you on the next one.